We had been staring out of the window from the top floor of that skyscraper down over the city of Chicago and Lake Michigan as it was bathed in the evening darkness. Spectacular sight. Then we moved over to our assigned table and we enjoyed, uh, we were right next to the dance floor and then on the small stage there was a jazz band and they had booked a Grammy award-winning singer entertaining us. We enjoyed a delicious meal. But the best part, for me anyway, of the evening was the dessert. There must have been about 10 waiters and waitresses, and they all suddenly appeared and walked onto the dance floor. They were all holding trays of flaming baked Alaska, these flames coming up, and they all walked around, and they, they got onto the dance floor, and they all formed this circle, and they were all walking around in this circle. Everyone's just like, wow. And then they all, it was like it was choreographed, they all dispersed out into all of the tables, and at each table, these desserts were placed down as the flames dimmed down on the flaming baked Alaska. It was spectacular. I actually don't remember how the dessert tasted, but I'm sure it was pretty good if I remember. Just a spectacular evening. One of my wife's cousin's weddings several years ago. What is the most amazing, spectacular wedding that you have ever attended? Something better than that, perhaps? You know, whatever the best one is that you've been to, today we have given to us a vision from John about a wedding that will take place in the future that will make all of those weddings, in fact, it will even make an English royal wedding look completely average by comparison. This is the wedding feast of the Lamb that will take place in heaven. And the good news is, you are invited. Today our lesson is from John's Revelation we read chapter 19, verses 1 through 9. I invite you to stand for the reading of this lesson. After, he, after these things, I heard what seemed to be the loud sound of an immense crowd in heaven saying, Alleluia! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for His judgments are true and just because he has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality, and he has avenged his servant's blood that was shed by her hand. A second time they said, Alleluia, her smoke goes up forever and ever. Then the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures bowed down and worshipped God, who sits on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. And from the throne came a voice that said, Praise our God, all you his servants, and you who fear him, small and great. And I heard 
what seemed to be the roar of a large crowd or the roar of many waters or the sound of loud rumblings of thunder, saying, Alleluia! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory because the wedding of the Lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready and she was given bright, clean, fine linen to wear. In fact, the fine linen is the not guilty verdicts pronounced on the saints. The angel said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. He also said to me, These are the true words of God. We pray. Dear Lord, these are your words, and therefore they are the truth. We ask that you would increase our faith through them. Amen. Please be seated. Throughout Scripture runs a theme about a wedding. Oftentimes in Scripture, Christ is is given to be, is represented as this groom. And God's people represent the bride. And so oftentimes the Christian church has been described as the bride of Christ. At the moment, as we live through our lives here, we are in anticipation of that wedding. We are, we are in our preparations for that wedding banquet that will come at some point in the future. And we want to be prepared. One of the things that John tells us in his revelation, and remember, this is a a book, it's a a vision that he saw, so there's a lot of symbolic language, uh, references to things that that symbolize, stand for other things um, in the world. And one of the things that is mentioned here in his description is the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and, and also the servant's blood that was shed by her hand. This is one of the illustrations that flows through Revelation and the visions that are taking place. It points to the tribulation that the church goes through here on earth. The tribulation is happening right now. You and I are living through that tribulation as Christians. It's not some time in the future, but even right now, even to this day, there are Christians who are being persecuted, Christians who are being martyred throughout the world. And this is the work of the devil and his evil forces. Now, John had referred to these symbolically in previous chapters. He had talked about uh, the red dragon, and there he had indicated this is referring to the devil or Satan, and that there were two beasts that came up. Now, the first beast is referring to secular powers. Wherever you look in the world and you see secular powers, secular rulers, governments, and so on, political ideologies that work against the Lord's church and against the Lord's people, maybe putting them to death. 
persecuting them, so on. There's also a second beast that the devil was in control of. This beast is even more sinister. This beast, which is also known as Babylon or the great prostitute, is from within the Christian church. This beast lures God's people away from the true teachings of Christ and into false teachings. They have, and in chapter 13, it describes this beast as having the face of the lamb and yet speaking with the voice of the devil or the dragon. And so that means it has the appearance of Christ, yet the words that have been spoken are the words of the devil. And so this is a very tricky thing for us. We need to be aware of this as Christians as we live in this time of tribulation, that there are possibly um, entities around us that are at work to lure us away from the Lord and His true teaching. There are even church bodies, which may look glamorous, which may be very alluring for us in what they teach, but they are not teaching sin and forgiveness in Christ Jesus. They're not teaching that. Maybe they are teaching works righteousness, kind of a pharisaical teaching. That's very alluring for us. We want to think that, that by my good deeds I can please God and earn heaven. That is not the message of sin and forgiveness through Christ. Another way that that, that great harlot can appear is in very liberal teachings within the church. Social gospel, where the focus is on the here and now. Again, there's no mention of sin or grace or eternal life. It's all about current issues and how to make your life better now, the prosperity gospel. Your life can be improved today if you do this. Very alluring, isn't it, for us? But we need to be careful. We need to be alert. We need to be prepared. We want oil, extra oil in our lamps. We want to have the Word of God. We want to live in true repentance. We want to live in the knowledge of forgiveness through Christ and in the Word and sacraments. There's a warning here. But... We also see the great victory, the great celebration that is taking place here because these saints are gathered around and they see that the preparations for the wedding have been completed. They say, He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth and He has avenged His servant's blood that was shed by her hand. And then a second time they said, Alleluia, her smoke goes up forever and ever. Think of a big pile of rubble that's been destroyed, that's been burnt, and all that's left is this wafting smoke that's coming up out of it, rising up. And it, it continues to go up forever and ever. Meaning, what that means is that at this place, when we are there in heaven, all of the evil that you know, all of the things that you look around the world today and you see that make your stomach churn, all of the things that make you go, what is happening? All of the evil, all of the corruption, the injustice that you go, oh, Lord, why don't you do something? All of that 
will be done with. The Lord will make His judgment. He will condemn that evil and it will never arise again. Forever. It'll be done with forever. Won't that be amazing to think that? We won't ever have to have to experience that, that sadness, that pain, that suffering, that evil again, all gone. And so they praise the Lord. He also mentions the 24 elders there. That's, the, that's really the believers, the 24 of the 12 tribes of Israel, the Old Testament believers, and then the 12 apostles of the New Testament. You know, we follow the apostles' teaching, right? So that's all believers, Old and New Testament. And then the four living creatures, that, that is all of the earth, all of creation. We think of Romans where it talks about how the creation longs for his appearing and so on. And they are there and they say, and they worship the Lord and they are praising him saying, Amen, Alleluia. And then an angel, voice from heaven, comes and says to the crowd to praise the Lord. Praise our God. And then if the first praising wasn't loud enough, then John hears an even louder roar from all of the believers as they praise the Lord. He says it sounded like the roar of many waters, the sound of loud rumblings of thunder. And they praise God. Alleluia! This wedding feast will be the greatest joyful experience you ever have, and it will go on forever. One of the things, there's three things I want to point out that causes this great joy and rejoicing. First of all, they say salvation and glory and power belong to our God for his judgments are true and just. And they say that the Lord God Almighty reigns. God will reign forever and ever. His perfect, powerful reign. God already previously has been doing this but at this point everyone will see it everyone will see God's glory face to face in heaven and this reign will be in perfect justice there won't be injustice it will be true imagine leaders imagine a politician that could not lie could not tell anything that was false but had to speak the truth imagine how wonderful that would be God, His judgments are true and just, always. And it continues on, not just for four years, not just for six years, it will go on forever, His reign. So that's the first thing. Secondly, they talk about the wedding feast here. Because the wedding of the Lamb has come, the wedding of the Lamb has come. The wedding feast will begin. That long-anticipated feast will be there, happening in heaven. It will be the most amazing banquet that you and I have ever been to. It will be glorious. I want you to notice one thing here. Notice that, that the words here say that because the wedding of the Lamb has come, referring to Jesus, but it doesn't say the wedding of the Christ has come. Or why doesn't it say the wedding of the King of Kings has come? The wedding of the Lamb. 
In fact, when you look through Revelation, a lot of times when Jesus is spoken of, he appears as a lamb who was slain. John says that a number of times. Then I saw a lamb who was slain. Referring to Jesus. Isn't that interesting that at this glorious, victorious celebration, Jesus is referred to as a lamb who was slain. This lamb. We think of John the Baptist that day when he saw Jesus walking towards him and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus came to be the sacrificial lamb. All of those sacrifices in the Old Testament weren't enough. They couldn't do it. Jesus, the perfect Son of God, had to come as that perfect lamb without any blemish or defect. He lived a perfect life for you and me, a life that you and I have not been able to live. But then he went to the cross. The cross is always at the center of the Christian faith. Jesus there was shed. He shed his blood. He was condemned on the cross with our guilt, with our shame, with our corruption that we should have been condemned with. We should have been part of that smoldering pile. But instead, Jesus took that corruption as his own. And he died with it to pay for it. But then that slaughtered lamb arose again, showing that he had won the victory, that he had won the victory over sin, death, and Satan. And this we see here is the ultimate fulfillment of it. But John wants you to think about this now. He knows that he is writing for Christians who will be living during this tribulation. Our attention, our focus, the center of our faith is always to be that lamb. Jesus is the lamb. And what he did for you to redeem you. And then the third reason. The bride has made herself ready and she was given bright, clean, fine linen to wear. And then there's this wonderful explanation of what that is. What is that fine linen? In fact, the fine linen is the not guilty verdicts pronounced on the saints. The not guilty verdicts. God now declares you not guilty of your sin, of your corruption in your life, your guilt. Why? Because the Lamb had taken that already. You are not guilty. And in fact, in faith, through faith, he gives that to you. In baptism, you are clothed in Christ's righteousness. It's a clothing. It's a piece of clothing, like putting it on, Christ's righteousness, his not guilty verdict. That is, in fact, what little Evelyn and and Becca, they were clothed in Christ's righteousness this morning in their baptisms they have put on those fine linen garments to wear. And what a blessing that is to have that garment to wear at the feast. And then the angel says, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Blessed are those who are invited. Dear friends, you are invited. You are all invited to this feast. Now is the time. We live in the time of grace. Christ has not yet returned. And Christ invites you to believe in Him, to believe in His Word, to know of His victory for yourself, 
to know that your sins are forgiven and He has supplied everything you need for salvation. He wants you to be prepared because you will be blessed. You know, I, I want to use an illustration today, one of my favorite illustrations. Maybe some of you have seen this one before. But I think it's a good one for, for getting our minds in correct perspective, for understanding what eternity in heaven is going to be like for us. And so I just need a second to prepare this. Back in a moment. So, this rope here, this is, imagine this is a timeline representing eternity. So starting from here, which is now, and going on forever and ever, okay? Now this, if you can see it, there's a little bit of blue tape I put on the end here, okay? This represents the 80 years of your life here on earth the average lifespan, okay? Maybe it's 76, something like that, okay? And so think about this. You have your life here on earth, and then believers go to heaven, and we get to live for what would be about 1,000 years, 2,000 years, three, four, five. It just keeps going, right? On for eternity in heaven. And so this time on earth, this this 80 years that we spend on earth, I hope you can put some perspective on this to understand what a, really, what a tiny little bit of time this is. Okay? But it's an important time. You know, some people get so worried about their life. Some people are tempted to fall away from the Lord. They're tempted to go after these alluring other teachings and they fall away from the church and they forfeit what they could have. But the Lord says, be prepared, be ready, have that extra oil in your lamps, study my word, be faithful and know the gospel. He wants you to live in true repentance in word and sacrament. That's what builds your faith up. That's what will get you through this short period of time. And then when the Lord returns and we enter into heaven, then we can rejoice and we will enjoy not you know, this idea of resting in peace. We don't, we're not just sleeping in heaven, but rather we rise in glory. Heaven is going to be amazing. All of the things that we will experience that we can't even describe now. We will be there forever and ever with our Lord reigning in His justice and His righteousness at that beautiful banquet with Christ at the center. Dear friends, the good news is you are invited. Amen.